But um, I just had a few thoughts to share with you guys this morning on Joseph. Who in here has never heard the story of Joseph? Raise your hand. Don't be afraid. Just need to know if I need to do any backstory. Okay, so everyone's heard of Joseph. That's awesome. He is my favorite, 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 favorite uh, character, person, uh, Old Testament man of faith in the Bible. And he's not usually who we talk about when we talk about faith, and we're actually not going to talk super much about faith this morning as much as we are going to about relationship. But... um, He was part of the covenant line, and God used him in a powerful way in covenant. The book of Genesis is not about people. It's God revealing himself to us, and it's God revealing the establishment of covenant. You know, he created the heavens and the earth. He created Adam and Eve. They sinned and wrecked it for all of us, wrecked relationship with God and intimacy with God for all of us, and he needed to set a covenant people to bring a covenant person to cut a new covenant for us to be able to have a relationship with him. And so that's what the book of Genesis is about. It tells us about covenant. But I just really had a few thoughts on Joseph that I wanted to share with you this morning. We're going to hop, skip, and jump as quick as we can through the book. And we're mostly going to focus on the parts that have to do with his character, his integrity, his walk with God, and how that all kind of played out in his life. So we all know uh, Joseph is in Genesis. It starts in chapter 37, goes to chapter 50. So you do the math, that's 13 chapters that cover 150-some years of Joseph's life. So this is not a complete historical account of Joseph. (laughs) It's the highlight reel. This is Joseph's Facebook page. (laughs) <laughs> it's just a highlight reel. You know, we, we put the highlights on Facebook. We don't put the everyday, humdrum, mundane. Well, some of us do. But really, it's meant for the highlight reel. We usually just put the positive things on there, right? I'd say when my son won the 400 or this one taught himself to play this song and we kind of brag on our kids on Facebook, but I don't ever put on there, gosh, struggling with Alex today. He rolls his eyes at me one more time. I told him one time, I invented the eye roll, so it's not going to work on me. No, (laughs) I've got good kids. But we don't put that kind of stuff on there. It's the highlights, right? But um, so we're going to hop, skip, and jump through. I do want to read almost the whole first chapter. We're going to read, comment, read, comment, and then close it up. How's that sound? I'm hungry, so we'll go as fast as we can. (laughs) Just being real, people, just being real. Um, 37.2 says, this is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, say 17. How many 17-year-olds do we have in here today? Any? 17? All right, look at the... Bill, you are not 17. (laughs) 18, we might believe, but not 17. Um, So 17, he's a teenager, a teenage boy. We all know the frontal lobe is not fully formed until 25. Not always making the wisest decisions, right? So he was 17. He was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And he brought their father a bad report about them. How many of you have more than one child? How many of you hear a bad report from one of them? from time to time. (laughs) 
So Joseph is bringing a bad report to the dad. It doesn't say it was a false report. It was probably pretty accurate, but Joseph was telling on his brothers. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. Not a good thing, parents, just telling you now. Because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made him a richly ornamented robe, the coat of many colors. And really what that coat signified was management. So we have the not oldest son, the not second oldest, the not third oldest. Joseph was like second to last of 12 brothers. So he's way down the line of supposing to be in management. He's supposed to be labor at this point. He's supposed to be the one out, you know, cleaning out the stalls and out in the fields and doing all the yucky jobs. But because his father loved him more than the others and he favored them above the others, he made them, or he made Joseph management. All the other brothers are labor. He's management. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. Okay, remember, the frontal lobe's not fully formed. (laughs) Maybe not the wisest decision to tell his brothers, you know, you're going to bow down to me. I had this great dream. It was great for me. It was good for me. But um, Joseph was hated by his brothers. And I grew up not completely loved by my siblings. My parents divorced when I was little. We lived with my mom, who was an alcoholic. And then usually the siblings band together. And mine banded together against me. And they did all kinds of mean and terrible things to me. Boo-hoo. It's okay. They've repented. God's healed my heart. Everything's good now. But walking through that is not so fun. And sometimes, really, you just want to be accepted. You just want to be accepted by them. And sometimes if you can't be accepted by them, you just, you know, want to rub it into them a little bit. (laughs) So we don't know what Joseph was doing here. You can't read tone into text, right? Which is why it's good not to communicate much over text. If you really have something important to say to somebody, please call them. (laughs) Because they're going to interpret it through the mood that they're in. But we can't really interpret Joseph's tone here. When the Bible talks all through the next few chapters about his character, about his integrity, about his work ethic, about anything, it's nothing but high praises for Joseph. And so we don't want to read anything into it. We don't know why he felt the need to share it with his brothers. But when he did, they hated him all the more. And then he had another dream, and he told it to his brothers. He didn't quite get it the first time. Listen, he said, I had another dream, and this time the sun and the moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, nothing new. They were jealous of him before he had the dreams, already hated him before he had the dreams, still jealous, but his father kept the matter in mind. So I think the dad knew there was something to it. And these dreams were really dreams 
for Joseph from God, revealing to him what his life was going to look like, right? So we know we don't get the full picture from the beginning, but what God's showing Joseph is the end game. This is the end of it. Your brothers are going to bow down to you. And then if you go on in the chapter, the father sends Joseph out to, to go find the brothers while they were grazing the flocks. So he goes to find him. And when they, they see him coming from afar off, and in verse 17, it says, so Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. But they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. And they were plotting to murder him, right? They're plotting to kill him. They're forming a weapon against him and saying, okay, he thinks we're going to bow down to him. He thinks these dreams are going to come to pass. We'll see about that. And then Reuben tried to intervene for him. And the Bible says, So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornamented coat he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern, which was a well. The cistern was empty, and there was no water in it. As they sat down to eat their meal, so this gives us a picture, a little bit better picture, of how hard-hearted these brothers were towards Joseph. I mean, they threw him in a well. And if you read later, when they're talking amongst themselves, they say, didn't we hear him distressed and crying out when we threw him in the well? So they could hear him hard-hearted in this well. And then they just sit down to eat lunch, the food probably that Joseph brought to them from the dad. (laughs) They looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming, and then they decided to sell Joseph instead of killing him, which was good. God intervened. Every word of God is going to come to pass. If God spoke it, it's going to come to pass no matter what anybody tries to do or say against you. That's why I love that song this morning. No weapon formed against you can prosper. No weapon formed against me can prosper. If it comes against the word of God, it can't prosper. So they sold him, and then they decided to trick the dad, so they dipped his coat in lamb's blood or whatever animal it was, gave it to him and said, is this your son's coat? Of course they knew. They probably knew every stitch on that coat. They hated him. They envied him. They were jealous of him. Coveting and envying are two completely different things. Coveting means I want what you have. Envy means I want what you have and I don't want you to have it either. It's a deeper, like darker, more intense emotion. They hated him. They were jealous of him. So they go to the dad and say, is this your son's coat? And he goes, yes, he must have been, you know, eaten by wild animals. So they let him come to his own conclusion. But verse 36 says, Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. And so here we have Joseph, who's 17, say 17, 17. stripped away from his family, 
stripped of his clothes, stripped of everything he knew, everyone he loved, sold into a foreign land. And when they sold him into slavery, they probably stripped him down almost naked and put him on a block, and he went for the highest bidder. Pitiful, horrible, horrific thing that his brothers did to him. We're going to skip over 38, chapter 38, because it doesn't have anything to do with Joseph. 39, one says, now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. Verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered and he lived in the house of the Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his whole household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. And so Joseph, in a horrific situation, the Bible says, but the Lord was with him. And as I was reading this, I found it very interesting that when he was in the safety of his own home, when he was with his family and everyone that he loved and everything was familiar and everything was going well, it didn't say the Lord was with him. But we know that he was. And I think that's interesting because usually when everything's going well, we don't have to wonder if the Lord is with me because it's just automatic. Oh, yes. Everything feels so good. His peace is so good. He's with me. But when everything gets turned upside down and your life is a living hell, and we need a reminder, the Lord is with me. And everything had been stripped away from Joseph and he was living a life he had never dreamed of. This wasn't what God promised. But God was with him and he caused everything he did to prosper and succeed to the point where he was elevated to being the highest leader slave in the ranks of Potiphar's house. And if you read down, um, it was in the course of time that Potiphar's wife decided that she wanted Joseph for her own. She wanted him to be her very own little toy. And so she kept saying, come sleep with me, come sleep with me, come sleep with me, come sleep with me. And he kept saying, no, no. No, no. And then one day she had kicked all the servants out and decided today's the day he's going to do it whether he likes it or not. (laughs) So he gets real closer and she says, come sleep with me. And he said, no way. And he ran away while she was still holding on to his coat. Joseph had bad luck with coats. If I was Joseph, I would have never worn another coat as long as I lived. (laughs) Husband comes home. She's holding on to his coat. She lies about Joseph, and Joseph gets thrown into prison. But I want to read what he said when she said, come sleep with me. Verse 8 says, he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against Potiphar? Is that what it says? It says, how can I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? The Bible doesn't talk a whole lot about Joseph's relationship with God, but you can see it. 
Because if you don't have a relationship with God, you're not going to care whether or not you're sinning against him at all. Right? So we see Joseph's relationship and how he interacts with people, his relationship with God. And so Potiphar gets angry when she lies about him and throws him into prison. Everyone say, prison's worse than slavery. Because <laughs> he had been elevated. Even though he was a slave and had no freedom, he was at least the highest slave. So he probably ate better. He was probably dressed better. He probably had a little more leeway. It was a little more comfortable. And he got thrown into prison. And the Bible says, but while Joseph was there in prison... And his prison was a dungeon, probably smelled like sewage. They probably really didn't care how clean they kept it or if it was sanitary. Probably didn't have, you know, steady meals or good meals. Probably moldy bread and anything with maggots on it. Nastiness that you can think about. While Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. Now, if I was sitting in a dungeon, I don't know that I'd be feeling the Lord's kindness. <laughs> I'd be more feeling like, when are you getting me out of here? When's the jailbreak? He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. And sometimes we're waiting for our circumstances to change to walk in that success. Oh, it's got to go easier. It's got to do this way or that way. And we set our own expectation of what that looks like for God to be able to prosper us or God to be able to use us or us to be able to succeed. But the Bible says that Joseph in prison was successful and because he was with him. There was relationship there. And so chapter 40, the cupbearer and the baker get thrown into prison, Joseph's prison, just get zipping through the story here, trying to zip through it. They get thrown into prison, and um, Joseph's prison, and he had been there for some time, and then they came and they were there for some time. So we're talking years and years of being where he didn't want to be, and these two guys had dreams. And, they, and, and Joseph said to them, run away, dreams are horrible, they're bad luck, and you don't want to have them. No. <laughs> He's like, I had dreams one time. Yeah, they're no good. No. He interpreted their dreams. It happened just like they said, like he said, and when, he, when the, the butler was getting ready to be released, he said, when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of here. I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews, and even here I have done nothing to deserve being put into this prison. So all these years later, he's still saying, get me out of here. I don't want to be here. I'm not supposed to be here. This isn't God's plan for me. I had dreams, and it doesn't include prison. Help me get me out of here. And the butler said, okay, I'll take care of it. I got your back. Thanks for the interpretation. But in verse or chapter 41, verse 1, it says, when two full years had passed, Pharaoh had a dream. 
So for two full years, Joseph sat forgotten in prison. Forgotten in prison. Until Pharaoh had a dream. And then the butler, or Pharaoh called in all his magician people, and they couldn't interpret the dream. And he called, or the butler said, hey, remember when you were angry at us and threw us into prison? Don't think about it too much. Don't, don't go back to the anger. But while I was there, you know, there was a guy there that couldn't interpret dreams. So Pharaoh said, call him. So the Bible was, says when Joseph showered and shaved, because, ew, he probably didn't shower or get to shave ever, he was in prison, he came out and met with Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said, I heard you can interpret dreams. He goes, not me. God, relationship. Even after he was forgotten in prison, he still honored God. There was a relationship there. And so he interpreted the dreams. There was going to be seven years of plenty and then seven years of famine. And he goes, the famine is going to just suck up all the plenty and then you guys are all going to starve. And God is showing you this so you can prepare for this. And hey, here's a really good idea. Why don't you prepare for it this way? And he laid out a plan. And Pharaoh said, well, who can be smarter than Joseph? Let's exalt him to second in command of all of Egypt. So he literally went from prison to the palace in the snap of a finger. Wouldn't happen these days, but it happened then. Why? Because the Lord was with Joseph. He cultivated that relationship with God all of those years, and I'm sure he remembered the stories from his dad. It's so important we tell our kids our story. I'm sure he remembered the stories from his dad of when he encountered God and he wrestled with him and the hip was put out of socket and when he encountered him on his way home and when he encountered him on the way to Laban and all the stories of his encounters with God. And Isaac's encounters with God, which was Joseph's grandpa. And Abraham's encounters with God. I think, wasn't Abraham old enough that he like, would have known? I don't know how old he was. I don't know the whole thing. But those stories passed down. Abraham, remember last week, the one who, who explained who his God was by saying, the Lord in whose presence I've lived. And so all these stories get passed down from generation to generation. And Joseph heard those stories. And he had the same God. And cultivated that same relationship with him. So that when 17, 18, 19 years later, this was actually 13 years after he was sold into slavery because the Bible says he was 30 when he was exalted. So this is 13 years. That's how he could keep his heart right and say, God interprets dreams. God does this. I'm not going to sin against God. My heart's right. And so if you keep skipping over He's exalted, he gets married, he has two kids. He even names his kids after uh, different experiences of God brought me happiness in my land of suffering. God did this for me. God did that for me. Always, always, always God. And then in chapter 42, the brothers come down to Egypt, and I really want to read it. 
Verse 3, then 10 of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain from Egypt because the famine was in Canaan too. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with the others because he was afraid that harm might come to him. So Israel's sons were among those who went to buy grain for the famine and was in the land of Canaan. Also now Joseph was the governor of the land, the person who sold grain to all his people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. God's word always comes to pass. Maybe not in our timetable. I'm sure this wasn't Joseph's timetable. So he interacted with them and he called them spies. And if you read down, he came up with a plan of, of seeing how they're not going to be spies. But in verse 17, it says, and he put them all in custody for three days. Jail. Joseph put his brothers in jail. I bet that felt really good. <laughs> At the end of the, of the story, we see him weeping and crying in forgiveness and love over his brothers. But in the middle of the story, Joseph puts him in jail. <laughs> and then he comes back three days later and says, I'm going to release you because I fear God. And I wonder, I mean, the brothers were in jail for three days, but I wonder what Joseph's life was like for those three days. I mean, I picture a conversation between him and God. God, this, no, this whole thing was not what I thought you had planned when I had that dream about my brothers bowing down. Now, I know they bowed down, but this hurts. It's the first time I've seen them in 13 plus 7 plus 2. How many years is that? Somebody, quick. However many, 23 years. First time I've seen it, and I didn't expect it to hurt this much. But Joseph, dude, I did this. I did this. I needed you here. I needed you here to sustain covenant. I needed you here to save lives. All right, God, but couldn't you have done it some other way? I needed, I needed you here. I did this. I did this. It's my fault. Forgive your brothers. Because I fear God. And then he let them all go home but one. Said you have to bring Benjamin back. And so they, he kept one in prison. They brought the brother back. They bought more grain. And then as he left, he was playing a trick on him because he put something in the youngest brother's sack. And they, he sent his guy just to show that he was stealing from them. And so he wanted to see if his brothers had changed because he said, the one who stole from me, that's the one who's going to stay with me in prison. And the, Judah, who was the one whose idea it was to, to sell him into slavery, said, you can't keep him. It was his youngest brother. He goes, my father's life is bound up in him. If you keep him, it's going to kill him. I will stay in his stead. So the brothers had changed, right? And when he said that, he couldn't take it anymore. Joseph shushed everybody out of the room in chapter 45. And he said, come here. I am Joseph. I'm your brother. It's me. Is my dad okay? And the brothers were like, ooh. <laughs> he just had us in jail for three days, and he can do anything he wants to us and not get in trouble. Yikes. And in verse, or chapter 45, he says, come here. Come here. Verse 5, do not distress and be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. 
For two years now, there has been famine in the land, and for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping, but God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was God who sent me here, not you. And if you go over to verse 50, or chapter 50, um, the dad had died, and the brothers were talking amongst themselves and said, you know what, I bet he was only being nice to us because dad was still alive. And so now he's going to really let us know how he feels. So they went to him and said, all right, Joseph, this was dad's dying wish. Dad said you're not allowed to hurt me. (laughs) Dad said you have to leave us alone and be nice to us. And he said specifically to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to deliver his people. God intended it for good. It didn't look good. It didn't feel good. But God intended it for good. And there's sometimes, I'm going to bring this out real quick, that we fight the process. Right? Joseph had a process to go through. And we fight that process because it hurts and it's not comfortable and it's not what we thought it was going to look like. It's never what we think it's going to look like. If he showed us, if he had showed Joseph the end and given him a picture of what his whole life was going to look like, Joseph would have said no. How many of you would have said no? No way. But they were supposed to just bow down to me. But it took this and this and this and this and this to get here. This is just real, real life. There's ups, there's down, there's mundane years. Most of Joseph's story, his 175 years of his life, most of his story is unwritten. Why? Because it was not noteworthy. (laughs) The only parts written in here have to do with covenant and how God used him to keep his covenant promise to rescue his covenant people. But most of his life is not noteworthy. It was just the humdum Work, eat, sleep, repeat. Work, eat, sleep, repeat. Where he developed that relationship with God. But in the midst of that process, it had to be this way. It had to be this way. When God fully intended for Joseph to lead Egypt, he knew from the beginning that he was going to be second in command. It had to be so that he could rescue the people. Joseph did not grow up in Egypt, so he had to learn some things. He had to learn the language. He could never have led like he led if he didn't know the language. He had to learn their customs. He got familiar with their eating schedules when he was a slave and ran the guy's whole house. He would have had to know who ate what and how much, which was going to come in real handy when he was doling out food for everybody so he'd know how much to give who. There was a process. It was a learning process. He learned how to lead in Egypt. He was raised up into those leadership positions everywhere he was, trained. But do you think he thought that while he was in the middle of it? No, because it was not comfortable. It wasn't what he knew. It wasn't what he loved. 
I don't think God made the brothers do that. I don't think that was like divine providence and he put in their hearts to be mean to Joseph and sell him into slavery. Nor do I think he thought it was a good idea. Just like everything in our lives, he doesn't look at it and go, that was a great, great thing. But I think what this shows us is that God can work anything around to his good. Anything around to his good. Isn't that what he says? I work all things together for the good of those who love me and are called according to my purpose. Joseph couldn't control what happened to him. And how many of us have been hurt by people? How many of us have been or are in situations that are hurtful and that we have no control over and if it was in our control, we would completely change it? We don't have control over what happens out here, but we have full control over what happens in here. And we can keep this right because it doesn't matter what people do to us. It doesn't matter what we go through. God can turn it around and make it something beautiful. Beautiful. I've gone through so many things in my life, and if I started listing them off to you, you would cry, and we would just be passing the tissues around all day. Hurtful, harmful things that I can look back at now, and it's a beautiful picture on my wall of God's restoration and power and moving and his love in my life. We don't know the why. And as I read this and as I read other accounts in the Word, I always say, why? Why? Why, 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 why? <laughs> couldn't that process have been a, couldn't I have just been a foreign exchange student? <laughs> Joseph totally could have just been a foreign exchange student. Why couldn't that have worked? Why did there even have to be a famine? God, if you're so all-powerful, why didn't you stop the famine? Why didn't you stop the brothers? Why? I don't know why. I honestly don't know why. And I wasn't sure I was going to share this again. I should have shared it earlier. But there's, when we go to Hawaii, we've been several times with family there, which makes it relatively inexpensive to go, especially when you get free plane tickets. So... <laughs> Um, which we have been blessed with in the past. Anyway, but when we go, we, there's a beautiful church that we go to. Um, and for some reason, we've been going there for years. I, we went on our honeymoon, so we've been going there for 19 years together. And for some reason, the, the pastors of this church, um, I, God really put their son in my heart. And he was uh, not always walking strong with the Lord and uh, had some addiction problems. But I prayed for this young man. I remember one night, I just found this in my journal when I was cleaning out my um, cupboard yesterday. I was opening my journals trying to see um, what they said. And this prayer was on the beginning of this one journal. And I woke up one night and I saw this little blonde-headed, uh, blonde-headed kid covered in blood in my prayer. And so I um, had a little blonde-headed kid. <laughs> so I wanted to get up and prevent that in prayer. So I got up and I started praying. And I somehow knew it wasn't for Alex and this, this 
kid in Hawaii came up in my heart. And I'd started praying. I prayed for probably an hour. Very specific things. Praying for all of his vital organs. Praying for different things like that. Come to find out that he was in a knife fight. Got attacked and was stabbed. I don't know how many umpteen times. But every time the knife missed the vital organs. God was so faithful to answer prayer. So fast forward uh, to just a few years ago, and this uh, I walk and pray sometimes. So I was getting ready to go on a walk, and I just had Hawaii heavy on my heart. And um, I, we've always told the Lord we didn't really want to live there, although we contemplated it at one point. But um, I didn't want to live there. But it was so strong on my heart that I thought, Lord, if that's what you want, I'm willing. If that's what you're looking for, a willing vessel, I will leave my whole family and go that far to that expensive land and <laughs> do whatever you want us to do there. And, um, but I knew that wasn't it. And so as I prayed, this, this boy came up in my heart. He was now a man. And I come to find out the next day that he went on a drug-induced rampage and killed several people hurt several people, was in a standoff with the police, waved a gun at them. They never shot him. But I had prayed deep, 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 deep prayers for hours, hours and hours that day into that night, not even really knowing what I was praying for. And uh, he shot this one woman right in front of her daughter, didn't shoot the daughter. So now the daughter's got to deal with that, you know, life. This is life. Joseph was thrown into a pit. Things happen to us. Things happen around us. But really it rocked me because I sat on my swing as soon as I found out saying, why did I even pray? Why did you even have me pray if you weren't going to intervene? I don't understand why you let this happen. You know what he told me? He said it could have been so much worse if you hadn't prayed. So the, the young man's in jail for life, to what it looks like, which, you know, he's paying the consequences of what he did. But he's in jail, but he's free. He's leading Bible studies in prison now. He's given his heart completely back to God now. Free. When we look at things and say, why, 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 Father, why? Was that your best? No. But can he turn it around and work it still into something beautiful? Yes, he absolutely can. And that's what he did with Joseph's life. That's what he did with Joseph. Joseph had to go through that process longer than he wanted to, not where he wanted to be. And some of us are in the middle of a process whether it's working with forgiveness or dealing with things that happened to us in the past or our process on our walk with God, whatever that looks like, we're in a process. And Joseph wanted release two years before he got out of there. That's when he begged for him, his release. And God hid him there and kept him there for two more years. And I felt like I've been there over and over and over again. And I'll never forget one time the kids were little, and I felt like that that's where I was. I was hidden, and I wanted release from prison. God, this is not what you've called me to. This is not, I know this isn't the dream that you've put in me. And my kids were being kids, and one of them needed some attention. Attention. 
And I w- happened to be making dinner. I was frying my pork chops. I brown them, and then I stick them in the oven. And so I called him in, and I said, you sit here, <laughs> and you wait for me to finish browning these pork chops. Because I've got to get this done. This is a time-sensitive part of the process. And it's all about the food anyway. And I was hungry. So, (laughs) like, you sit here and wait for me until we can have a chat. And so I turned around and I went back to making my pork chops. And as clear as day, the Holy Spirit said, does his sitting there waiting have anything to do with him? And I said, nope. Nothing to do with him. The reason he was waiting is because I was doing something, right? And he said, neither does your waiting have anything to do with you. I am working and arranging and putting it all together. You just need to trust me. And so we kick and we kick and we fight and we fight against the process. But it's really the process that prepares us for the dream. Right? Because the dream, when that dream happened, it wasn't the end of Joseph's life. He was still in the very beginning. There was still a work part of it that needed to be done. And that process launched him into his dream and helped him do all the work of it and be successful at it. He had to be prepared for that process. And what was the main, main thing to Joseph that kept him not just where he needed to be, circumstances kept him there, but that kept him in a usable form instead of being bitter, instead of maybe even taking his own life as a slave or in in prison. What kept him where he could be used was him keeping his heart right before God in relationship. Amen? God can work anything that happens to us or around us into a beautiful, beautiful piece of artwork that you can hang in your wall. I've gone through stuff, like I said, I would never want to go back through it again, but it's beautiful now. That's what he did for Joseph. Toby is being used in a beautiful way, in a place where people would have never heard the name of Christ. God's can use it for his good if we let him. Amen. Father, we just thank you for my words, as insufficient as they are. I just pray that you just give us the revelation of what you needed us to hear today. Help us to cling to you when the days of life are mundane. Help us to cling to you when it's uncomfortable and not how we want it to be. And help us to cling to you even when everything is going well. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your plan. We thank you that no weapon formed against us can prosper. We thank you, Father, that you work it all out in our behalf. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. You know, there might be some in here today where you're in that middle of that process of someone doing something to you that's not comfortable, that's not even right, that would make us cry if we heard it, and you're struggling to keep your heart right. You're struggling in understanding. You're struggling in how to walk life through now. 
And if that's you, I just want to pray for you. You don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to come down front. God knows who you are. He sees who you are. And he is working in you and in your behalf. Now, Father, we just lift up these that are hurting. And Father, we pray that you pour out your comfort and your grace in their hearts. Give them strength to stand. Give them strength to trust when they don't understand. Father, I just pray for healing in their hearts. Bring them comfort and grace. Let it rest on them like a blanket when they get up in the morning, when they lay down at night, Father. I pray that you would walk them every day through to healing, to wholeness, and back into joy. We thank you for it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we end with a blessing. So we're going to end with blessing again today. I wish Pastor Michael were here with me to bless you, but he's not, so I am going to do it. So would you stand, please? And you know that this isn't the only time we speak blessings over you, right? When you're not with us, we still speak blessings. We speak the word over you. We pray for you. You're in our hearts. You're in our minds. It's not just a job to us, your family, and we just love you. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, I bless your people. <sighs> Flood them with your presence this week like never before. Your grace, your comfort. I bless them to stand in your goodness, to see your kindness in situations that we wouldn't normally call kind. Father, I pray for you in your presence to rest on them like a blanket. Let them walk more intimately with you this week than ever before. Let your light shine through them, Father to everyone they come in contact with in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you. You're dismissed. See you on Wednesday. <laughs>